0: excited to be in church this morning? Two of you. That's fantastic. Awesome. Anybody excited to be in church this morning? There we go. All right. Uh, I I—I think that today's going to be a, a fantastic day. I'm excited about it. Uh, and also, too, I want to uh, take a quick moment and uh, if we all could, I want to welcome everybody who's joining in with us online. Church family, can you all put your hands together for everybody who's joining in online with us? Amen. We're so thankful you're with us this morning. You're our church family. We love you. And uh, in, in case I haven't got a chance to meet you before, my name's Kirby. I'm the youth pastor here with my wife Jennifer, and uh, I'm just so thankful, excited uh, for the opportunity to get to speak with you guys today. So thankful to Pastor Ben. And also, I want to take this minute just to honor Pastor Ben, because, you know, it's not easy leading a business or an organization or a church in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, and he's just done an absolute fantastic job. I'm thankful for his wisdom. Can we put our hands together for Pastor Ben give him some honor this morning? Amen. And uh, this series, I Give Up, I'm going to tell you something. When Pastor Ben told me about this series, I Give Up, I was so excited. Because I don't know about y'all, but there was a few moments in 2020 where I just had that sentiment, let me just say, right? The I give up feeling. And I love the idea of taking that sentiment, taking that feeling that we all felt at some point during 2020, and redirecting it towards giving up some negative things, right? Week one, Pastor Ben talked about giving up uh, excuses, giving up, making uh, excuses. I don't know if anybody's guilty of that. Just me? Okay. All right. Uh, and then last week, Pastor Ben talked about giving up complaining. And uh, he preached that one last week, so y'all wouldn't complain that it was me preaching today. Okay? Uh, but uh, today, what I want to talk about is something that is for everybody. Okay? It's for everybody. And uh, it's, it's something that is it's important to me. It's something that I believe that we all struggle with, whether we know it or not. And today's message is called, I give up religion. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I give, up I give up religion. And that's the message. Everybody give up religion. Let's get in our cars and go home, okay? No, not really. Okay. But uh, when I say that, if, uh, if you're new to church or if you're watching online and you know, you're just testing out the whole church thing, you might be curious why a pastor would say, give up religion. If you've been in church uh, for a long time, You might think, I've heard this message a billion times, I get it, religion, not relationship, this doesn't apply to me. But the minute we have that sentiment means that the message applies to us, okay? And so the reason I want to talk about this, the reason that it's so incredibly important, if you're taking notes with us, if you're taking notes on the Victory app, which you could do, the the point is, the whole reason why we're going to be looking at this is because that religion is our default programming, if you don't know that. Religion is our default, okay? If you've ever had, you know, a piece of wood or something that's warped and you've ever tried to get it back into the right position, you know, you realize that without a whole lot of bending and moving, it still wants to get right back to where it was. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Religion is our default. And I mean that from the most devout Hindu to the most, or sorry, the least devout atheist, religion is our default programming. It's where we all want to go. What I mean is that the atheist is just as religious as the Hindu in India. We're all religious. It's the the default programming of our heart and of our soul. And there's a story that Jesus, uh, uh, sorry, that Mark tells about Jesus that I think is so incredibly relevant to it and relevant to all of us because, again, it's the problem. I believe that we all face. It's, it's the programming we all do. And the reason that we have this programming, and I'll say this, is that it's the response to a problem that we all face. It's the response to a problem that every human being on the face of the earth, from the beginning of time till now, till the end of time, it is the response to a problem that we all face. Now in this story, it's in Mark chapter 7. If you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 5. But in this story, Jesus shows us three things. He shows us the problem that we all face. He shows us how religion is the pattern of how all humans respond. You, me, all of us. And then he shows us why it will never work. Why it will never work. So open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 7, or you can follow along with us on the screen. And I'm going to start in verse 5 and pick it up. But how the story is, is just to kind of set it up is the religious leaders of the day did not like Jesus. The majority of them did not like Jesus. And in this story, the religious leaders, the Pharisees is what they were called, come to Jesus and they are mad. They're they're, they're coming to Jesus to fuss, to complain, because they're saying that Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. All the southern mamas in here be like, what's wrong with that, right? Okay. But they're upset that the disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And some of you guys are thinking that, well, okay, what, how is that relevant to me in America in 2021? What does it matter what the Jews 2,000 years ago said about when you're supposed to wash your hands or not? What does that have to do with anything? Who cares what the Jews thought? Who cares what 2,000 years ago, when they washed their hands or when they didn't wash their hands? This seems like a very specific um, problem that was to them and not to me. But the truth is this, is that when Jesus picks a fight, he doesn't do it unnecessarily. When Jesus speaks to something, when he opens up his mouth, he's been thinking about it since before time began. When Jesus picks a fight, he does it because it is of universal significance to everyone. And so the, mi- the minute you think this has nothing to do with me, we got to realize it has everything to do with us. I'm going to pick up in verse 5. It says, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old traditions? It was called the tradition of the elders. They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man made ideas as commands from God. He says, You ignore God's law, you substitute your own tradition. You put that in its place. He says, Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. He said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, and this is a problem that other Jewish writers at the time say this was very prevalent in the Pharisees, is that they would say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you because I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Then Jesus explained it to the crowd. He called the crowd to him and he said, all of you listen, try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. His disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either? Another translation said, Are you also so dull? (laughs) Yes, I am, Lord. Okay. He said, Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added... It's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within, and they are what defile you. And that's, it's a a long passage, I know, but this story is here to illustrate something to all of us. And that is is that the problem that we all face. From every human being from the beginning of time till the end of time we all have a problem that we face and that is deep down in our spirit and in our soul we all have a sense of spiritual uncleanness. All of us. We can look down at the Pharisees and say this hand washing ceremony it's ridiculous. But we all, deep down, it's a response to a problem that we all face, and that is this sense of spiritual uncleanness, moral defilement. Something's not wrong. I mean, something's not right. Something is just deep down I'm not as good as I know I should be. I'm not good enough. Something is wrong deep down. But the truth is, we all feel this, and we all have a way that we try and deal with the uncleanness. Everybody tries to do their own little self-cleansing. There's a certain pattern that we all do. And that's the religion that I was referring to earlier. From, you know, the, the, the Buddhist to the atheist, we all have this way of washing. Now, the Pharisees, for instance, were very strict about the laws, the, the clean laws of the Old Testament. If anybody's ever read through Exodus, the later parts of Exodus, and then all of Leviticus before, can I get an amen if you've read through Leviticus, you get a medal, okay, right? So it's, it's difficult sometimes. There's lots of laws. About cleanness. And the Pharisees were very strict about these laws, and they seem a little bit useless to a modern reader. Like I said, if you've read through it before, you're like, what in the world am I reading? And they were really to, to illustrate this. I'll say this to sum up Exodus and Leviticus, okay? If you haven't read through it before, because I understand. But all the clean laws were here for this reason they were to say that you could not come in contact with dirt disease, or decay, or it would defile you. Dirt, disease, or decay. Their rules actually would say in Exodus Leviticus that if you had been in contact with dirt, disease, and decay, there was a certain amount of time that you could not even go into the temple or the tabernacle to worship because you were defiled. The priests had to wash their hands and wash their feet before they entered into the tabernacle or the temple. If you had touched any dead animal, if you touched any dead animal... Anybody been hunting the past month? If you touched any dead animal, you couldn't have come into the temple or the tabernacle to worship for a week. If you've read through Exodus Leviticus, it gets a little weird, right? That's that, I mean, everybody's like, okay, dead things. I get it. But if you had had diarrhea, you couldn't go into the temple. I hear the kids laughing. I laugh too, okay? aren't you? I mean, it's a good thing they didn't have Taco Bell back in that. Okay, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said that. But if you had diarrhea, you couldn't go into the temple or the tabernacle. You were were considered unclean. If you had a wound that was hemorrhaging blood or pus, can I get it? You couldn't go into the temple. Everybody's like, okay, this actually kind of makes sense. Exodus, Leviticus, that makes sense. Even if you had mildew in your home, a little bit, a spot on your clothes or on your, your pots and pans, dishes, it was enough that you were considered unclean and you couldn't go into the temple to worship until you had been. There was even a list of foods that you couldn't eat, and I'm sorry to say that crawfish was on the list. Okay, <laughs> many of those foods, like shellfish, were things that we now know, you know, thousands of years later, that they were more prone to decay without refrigeration, right? Yeah, if you've ever like somebody used to dump crawfish. Uh, there's a little like parking lot behind our house. Okay, they would they had they would eat crawfish, I guess, after work, and then they just dump it. In my backyard, and it smelled like a dead animal, right? It's just, oh, it was awful. Because shellfish is one of those things. But the whole point is that they were to avoid dirt, disease, and decay. And if you realize when you read through Exodus Leviticus, the worshiper back in those days would have an attitude towards dirt, disease, and decay. Not as much like a modern person, but more like a surgeon. Right? Right? You ever seen like a a doctor before they go into surgery? They've got a purification ceremony, right? They've got to put on the clean scrubs. They've got to wash and wash and wash. You never see a doctor go straight from an autopsy to a surgery, right? They've got to have a purification ceremony before they do. And the whole point, why I'm talking about diarrhea this morning in church, is that All of the laws in Exodus and Leviticus were there to point us to this one truth. And that is this. The same way that dirt, disease, and decay defile the body, sin defiles the soul. Sin is the problem that we all face. Sin is the reason we all have from the Buddhist to the atheist to the Hindu to the Christian in 2021. We all deep down have a sense of moral uncleanness and it's because of sin. And sin does the same thing to the soul that dirt, disease, and decay do to the body. Check this out. The first thing that dirt, disease, and decay do is they isolate you. They isolate you. There is not one culture on the face of the earth that say, if you want to meet new people, you don't need to wash up. Before your first date with your husband or your wife, I'm going to assume that you probably took a shower sometime in the 24 hours leading up to it, right? Right? As a youth pastor, I can tell you that dirt, disease, and decay isolate you after many a lock-in overnight with middle school boys and high school boys who run around and sweat and don't take a shower that night. When you wake up the next morning, you're like, social distance. Six feet back, man, you stink, okay? Dirt, disease, if you don't clean, it will isolate you. But Jesus is showing us that sin does the same thing to our relationships. Lie to your spouse enough times and tell me if you don't feel some separation. Lie to your boss enough times and see if there's not some separation that happens. Sin isolates us. The second thing in dirt, disease, decay do is they infect us. They infect us. They eat away at our insides. If you don't wash, if you don't clean, dirt, disease, and decay. If you don't treat a wound, it will spread. It's cancerous. And what do dirt, disease, and decay do? They literally break the body down and break it apart. And what does sin do? It breaks our soul apart. Paul speaks to it. He says that we're at war. There's there's the flesh and there's the spirit that are at war with each other. Your, your, Your sin will just lead your soul to be at war with itself to where it's just breaking apart your soul. You're, you're, you, it leads you to that question of, why am I doing this? This is not who I am. And inside your identity and your soul and who you are starts to break apart because of sin. And the last thing that dirt, disease, decay do is they stain. They stain us. They disfigure us. One of the, the hardest things having to do whenever trying to tell somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, an atheist or an agnostic, telling them about Jesus, one of the hardest things I ever have to to, to face when talking to them is they'll say, Well, what about all the, the wars and the atrocities and the horrors that the church has done throughout history? Because there's no denying it. And the truth is, they see it even from the outside that it's stained the witness. The sin that the church has done over thousands of years and the atrocities and the blood that flew, that they said uh, would flow through Jerusalem during the Crusades, that, it, that blood is still staining. The church, in the minds of atheists and agnostics today, why is there war today? Why, is, why do we have all these, the strife and the struggles? Why do we have all this infighting? Why do we have all this stuff? And the truth is that sin stains us. It discolors us. It disfigures us. And what Jesus is showing us is that sin does the same thing to our soul. Dirt stains, diseased stains, decay stains, and sin stains our soul. It makes the soul warped, defigured, discolored. And the truth is this, is that we're all trying to wash. We all have the problem that we face of sin, and we all try and wash. We all try and be clean. We all try and do it. Every single person on the face of the earth. Even the people who don't believe in sin, who say that, you know, you've got to decide for yourself what's right and wrong. You've got to live your own truth. And I would say to anybody who believes that, how is that working out for you? Because even if you say that I don't believe that that's right or that's wrong, deep down, you still feel the stain. You still feel the uncleanness. You're so, uh, even if you don't see it as sin, you're still so driven by perfectionism that you you don't delegate anything. You work yourself into the ground. Why? Because you're trying to wash. (laughs) You're, You're trying to wash and make yourself worthy again, to make yourself clean again. Why are some people so consumed with bitterness and getting revenge? Because they think that if they get revenge, it'll wash. It'll make them worthy again. It'll make them clean again. Why are some people so uh, tying up their identity so tight with a political party or a political movement on either side? Because they believe that if they're devoted enough and if they win the reform that they need or whatever... That they'll be worthy again, that they'll cleanse, that they'll be washed. Why do we do it? We all do it because we're facing the problem of sin. And that leads to that second point, which is we all wash. We all wash. We can't, look, we can't laugh at the Pharisee. We can't laugh at the Pharisee because that's just how they dealt with the problem. One of my uh, favorite preachers uh, actually tweeted out this week. He said, um, He said the easiest way to become a Pharisee is to look down at the Pharisees it's the quickest way. We can't look we can't laugh at them because they're doing what we all do. They're washing. They're facing the same problem. The Bible says in Romans 3:23 that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We're all stained. We all feel it. One of my favorite bands from college, I'm pretty sure the guy's not an agnostic. I just, you know, really enjoyed how he he writes music and poetry, but one of his songs that he he wrote has these lyrics and Uh, Again, I'm pretty sure he's not a Christian. I'm pretty sure he's an agnostic from what I've been able to see. But one of the lines in his song says this. I'm not sure if it's a love song or to a friend. But what he says is he says, I know our filthy hands can wash one another's and not one speck will remain. He says, I know. I know there's uncleanness there. But if our relationship is good enough. If I'm a good enough husband, if you're a good enough wife, if I if I succeed enough in my business that I see he's an agnostic, but he's making a faith statement, a religious statement. I know that I'm unclean, but if the relationship's good enough, if the job's good enough, if whatever's good, enough, I know that it'll make me clean again. We all wash. Look at verses six through 13. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about how they deal with that. And look at what they do. What they do, he's showing us the pattern that we all do. That we all do. Myself included. That we all do this. When we look at the law, this is what their, their issue was. Their issue with the disciples is that they were going against the age-old traditions. The traditions of the elders. Now the Bible actually said that only the priest needed to do the washing before they went into worship. But the Pharisees over time said, you know what, but if the Bible says the priest needs to wash... Wouldn't it be better if we all washed? And then from there, they said, you know what? If we got to wash our hands before we go into worship, wouldn't it be safe if we washed our hands every single time before we pray? And before you know it, they had made this enormous collection of very specific little traditions and laws around the actual law of God that came from the mouth of God and they had all these man-made traditions and it was called the tradition of the elders. The halakha is what it was called in Jewish and the rabbis at the time they called it the fence that they put around the law. All these man-made traditions. It was supposed to protect the important laws, the laws of God. But what happened was the Pharisees had elevated that to the point, elevated it to the same level as the actual word of God. But what does Jesus say? They would raise up the traditions, but at the same time, they would raise up the the traditions, they would neglect a whole other part of the actual word of God. Again, that sounds so specific, but what does that have to do with Americans in 2021? What does that have to do with Americans in 2021? What do we all do whenever we come face to face with the requirements of God's law? Jesus listed out a pretty comprehensive list of the things that defile us and make us unclean. Whenever you come into contact, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I come into a contact with one of these lists that Jesus brings out in verses 21-22, I key in on a certain few. It's just, I can tell it's just me that does that. I key in... On a certain few that I see as very, very important. And there's a lot of other ones that I just kind of gloss over. Again, I know that's just me that does that. Let's let's look at the culture wars for a second. Because I know nobody's sick of it. Um, What? (laughs) It's very quiet in here. Let's look at the culture wars for instance. We have the liberals versus the conservatives. Oh my goodness. Everyone's like, please don't go there. Please don't go there. We have the liberals and the conservatives, but we also have the beyondists, who of course are better than the liberals and the conservatives, right? But the liberals take a look at the moral law, what Paul would say is written on all our hearts, what we all know is right or wrong, and they would see some of it as prejudiced and hateful. But then they also look at certain things about greed and materialism and actually about certain things that the Bible teaches about prejudice and they say this stuff is very, very, very important and everyone needs to stick to this and they'll lift up their traditions, their own little laws around that law, their own little halakha, their own little fence so that when they have that fence they can look down and look over at everybody else who doesn't stick to the very, very important things that they consider very, very important. Yet at the same time, they ignore a whole other part of God's moral law and we all know the conservatives are innocent <laughs> in louisiana i can say that right the conservatives do the same thing look at the law of god and we elevate a certain few the liberals might elevate greed materialism and prejudice but the conservatives oftentimes elevate the parts about sexual morality heresy all these things that are they are incredibly important but sometimes we ignore other parts As well, oftentimes with conservatives, it's the parts about greed and materialism. And again, we lift up our own fence and conservatives lift up their own fence and they look down at everybody who's not able to stay there as well. And then you've got the beyondists who say, I'm beyond liberal and conservative, that whole thing. And they have their own fence and look down at all the liberals and the conservatives. What do Pharisees have to do with us in 2021? Just take a look at Twitter for five seconds and everyone... You you can see some Pharisees. But the truth is this, is that every time we lift up a certain part of the law and neglect an entire other part of the law, what we've done is we've, we've minimized God's law. We've created our own law, one that's manageable, one that we, our own selves, of our own effort, can meet, can be considered clean. And we're able then to look down at the others who are not able to stick to that. Liberals, conservatives, beyondists, everybody does it. And why? Because we're all washing. We all want to be clean. We all want to be considered clean because we all feel that deep down we know when we look at the actual unadulterated law of God, we don't measure up. We know that we're not good enough. And the truth is this: even though we're all washing, the last point is this is that all our washing will never work. All our effort. All the fences and the traditions that we raise up, all the looking down, it'll never work. The washing will never work. And here's why it will never work. What does Jesus say at the end? It might seem like a non sequitur, like it doesn't make as much sense, but what it does make sense. He's saying that it's not what goes into a person from the outside that makes them clean or unclean. It's what comes out from the inside that defiles somebody. It's not another 21-step program that's going to make us clean. It's not even a political reform that's going to make us clean. It's not a certain path to enlightenment. It's not this. It's not, it's not another thing to add on to the outside that will make us clean. It is only something that can come from the inside out. The world's philosophies don't get it. The world's religions don't get it. When the Hindus go down to the river to, to wash, when the, the Buddhists take their path to enlightenment, when the, the, the Muslims do their, their five pillars of Islam and they make their pilgrimage and they do all these things, they're trying to cleanse. And when the Christian in 2021 looks down at all the other people for doing all these things, we're washing, we're washing, we're washing, we're washing, but it will never work. It's no effort of our own. It's no, it, it's not, there's nothing with all our washing that will make us clean. It's only what comes from the inside out. And so we're at this point of the message where we say, what will work? What will work? What will work? Look at what verse 19 says. This might not at first make total sense, but what Jesus is saying, verse 19, he says, food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through the stomach. And what he's saying is that by saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. We can eat crawfish, everybody. But what does this mean? It makes you... I don't know about you, but whenever I've looked at this, and I've looked at the clean laws, especially about foods being clean or unclean, it's always made me a little bit uncomfortable. Because when Jesus is upset with them elevating the the traditions of the elders, I get that. Christians, I think, get that. It's the man-made traditions that he's going after. I get that. But... When Jesus is talking about declaring all the foods clean, the clean food laws were, were not man-made. These were things that literally came from the mouth of God. It seems like Jesus is going against the word of God by saying, no, the, the, food, the, the clean food laws. Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers and the, fa- the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. How in the world, Jesus, who's called the word of God, how can he be going against the law of God, the word of God? And the truth is this. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. He's not coming to say, don't worry about sin anymore. He's not coming to minimize the law. He's not coming to say just don't worry about certain parts of the law anymore. He's not saying that. He's saying, he's not saying just throw out the whole concept of good or bad, clean or unclean. Sin does defile. Sin does defile. What Jesus is doing when he said that is he's saying there's another way to be clean. There's another way to be clean. A way that all the clean laws of the Old Testament point to. I'm going to go a step further. A way that all the religions of the world point to this one way. They point to this. I'm not saying all the other religions are valid. I'm saying this. They all point to the fact that we're unclean and it won't work. Jesus is saying that they're all there pointing to the one true way to be made clean. Those, all those, 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 those laws. He's saying it's not a path, it's a person. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not a path, it's a person. Because see, in the Jewish culture at the time, all those purity laws, they pointed, I believe, one day of the year, it came, the purity laws came to a climax. Sin defiles us. Sin makes us dirty. Sin stains us. But one day out of the year, the Jews had this day where all the purity laws would come to a climax. And it was called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. And the high priest, who is the, the people's representative before God, would actually go up a whole week before the Day of Atonement. And he would stay in this little apartment by the temple or he wouldn't come in contact even with his family for a week. It would minimize his chance of coming in into contact with anything that would defile him or make him unclean before the Day of Atonement because it was that important. And the night before the Day of Atonement, the high priest wouldn't go to sleep. He would stay up the entire night and his friends would be there with him and they'd be reciting scriptures to him, to him trying to purify his soul and purify his mind before he would go in on the Day of Atonement. What he would do is he would make a sacrifice for the people that would cover over their sins for the year. That would would cover over all the mistakes that they made. Cover over their uncleanness for that year. And on that day, do you know what the high priest had to do? He had to wash over and over and over and over again. So all the people would know that their representative was pure and clean before God. He would wash five times that day. Out in public, behind a screen, but out in public so everyone would know. He would wash. He would get up and wash. And then he'd make a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice for his own sins to purify his own. And after the sacrifice, he'd wash again. And then he'd make a sacrifice for all the people that were helping him. And then he would wash again. He would wash and wash and wash. And they would they would take off whatever clothes he was wearing and they would clothe him in spotless, clean linen. And then he would go into the temple, into this place called the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, where God's presence dwelt. And he would make the sacrifice that was going to cover over the people's sin for the entire year, the Day of Atonement. But the truth is that was just temporary. Because the next year, they had to do the whole thing over and over and over again every year. Now, in Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah has this, this prophetic vision of the high priest. He has this prophetic vision of the high priest, and what he sees is he sees the high priest in the presence of God, which would have told Zechariah that there's one day out of the year where the high priest is in the presence of God, and it's the Day of Atonement. So Zechariah's having this vision of the high priest on the Day of Atonement, and what Zechariah saw would have shocked him. What Zachariah saw would have made him sick to his stomach, would have made him enraged. It would have made him so confused. It might have even made him sick to his stomach because what he saw on the day of atonement in God's prophetic vision he gave him was he saw the high priest not clothed in linen, not pure, not clean, not bathed. He says he saw the high priest covered in filth, defiled. The Hebrew word actually says he saw the high priest covered in excrement. And what God was showing to Zechariah was he was showing even the cleanest of the clean. Even the person who's gone through the most acts of purifying and the most cleansing in my sight, in my presence. This is what God sees. All, our, all of our acts of righteousness, Paul says, I count my, all those this, all this righteousness, I counted as filthy rags. Because Paul saw what Zacharias saw. Paul saw what God saw when God looks at all of our, our, our paths that we take. All of our ways of looking down at the other people. All of our self-efforts of being cleansed. And he says, as hard as you try, this is still where you get. But that's not where the prophecy ends. The voice of the Lord speaks, and he says, take off the filthy garments and put him in robes of clean linen. And he speaks to the high priest, and look at what the word of God says. He says, you, to the high priest, you, you're a symbol of things to come. Because my servant, the branch, the son of God, Jesus, is coming. And in one day, I will take away the sins of the the, the whole land. He didn't say, I'm going to cover over your sins again. He says, in one day, I'm going to take away your sins. I'm going to take them away from you. And what happened to Jesus, our high priest, on the day of atonement? The night before, he stayed up all night praying as well. But did his friends stay up with him, helping him? His friends all fell asleep. As he's preparing for the sacrifice he's going to make, and what was, what was his right of purification? Was he bathed? Was he cleansed? No, his bath was the spit of the people he had created. His broken flesh, his blood all over him. And instead of going into the Holy of Holies and sacrificing a lamb, he came for you and for me to sacrifice his own blood and his own body. Don't you see the perfect spotless one was defiled? so you and I could be made clean it's not a path it's a person first peter 2:24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed first john 1:7 through 9 says the blood of jesus cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we think that we're clean, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm reminded of the hymn, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's not a path, it's a person. So what are, what, are, what are, I guess, some practical steps that we could take? The first one is this. Drop the performance. Quit trying to wash, thinking that that will make you clean. Quit thinking that one more blast on Facebook will lift up your righteousness points. Quit thinking that all these little rituals that we do will cleanse us because we know that the cleanest of the clean is still filthy in God's sight without the blood of Jesus. And the second thing is discover the wonder. Or rediscover the wonder. And this is not something that's done, I think, one time. I believe it's something we need to do every single day. And the wonder is this. Is that there's nothing we can do. The wonder is the fact that the perfect spotless one was defiled so we could be made clean. That's the wonder. The wonder of the great transfer that happened of our sin and our defilement for Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness. Rediscover the wonder. That is the, the rediscover that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't the basics, and then as we mature, we move on to, to bigger and better things, more complex, deeper spiritual truths. There's nothing deeper than the gospel. There's nothing deeper than Jesus Christ. Paul says, "I want to know Jesus Christ and him crucified." That's what I want to know. And if you look back at 2,000 years of church history, And what I want to say to all the atheists and agnostics, I'll say this. The darkest times of the church's history is when they got away from the gospel and started looking more like Pharisees. They started looking like the disciples. And the last thing is this devote to the way. This is not for one second a message that says that sin is okay, that we don't need to devote ourselves to things like prayer and fasting. That's not at all what it's saying. Yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to avoid sin. Because of all the things we said before, it distorts, it, dis- it, it stains us, it isolates us. Yes, we need to look at prayer and fasting. Yes, we need to be reading our Bibles more. Yes, we need all the moral teaching of the law of how we treat each other. I'm not complaining of of being a helping hand to the hurting and the marginalized, but the difference in Christianity is is that we don't do all those things to win God's approval. We don't do all those things to be cleansed. We do it from a place of God's approval. We do it from a place of knowing he's already cleansed us. The truth is the Christian life All the the moral prescriptions, all the things that we need to do, they're not the prescription to cleanse us and to heal us. They're the symptom that God has already done it, that we're already healed. So let's give up religion today. Rediscover relationship. Let's give up all the paths of how we've maybe been cleansing ourselves and rediscover the person of Jesus and devote to the way. I want to go ahead and pray right now. Everybody, wherever you're at, just bow your heads, close your eyes. God, we just thank you for who you are today. We worship you. We worship you for how good you've been to us, that you transferred our sins onto yourself and that you gave us your righteousness, that when God sees us, he wouldn't see us in filth, but God, he would see Jesus. He would see your righteousness that we're clothed in. God, we thank you. Everybody, wherever you're at with your your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to take this moment for all of us to just respond. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never had the transfer, you've never placed your faith in him, now is a perfect moment to do it. To be cleansed, not by your own efforts, but by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says, like I said, all we have to do is confess our sins. Tell God, yes, I'm sinful and I need your cleansing. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. If you want to do that this morning, wherever you're at, just raise your hand. Even if you're at home right now, all by yourself, just looking on your phone, just do that physical act of raising your hands. I see that hand. That's fantastic. I see that hand. I see that hand. And church, I want to do this right now. I want us to all pray out loud. Help the ones who raise their hands. And this prayer is not magic. It's not the words that save you. It's the blood of Jesus on the cross. It's us, our heart believing in him, putting our trust and our faith in him. So if you want to pray that prayer this morning, I want you to pray with me. Church, let's pray with them. Say, dear God, I thank you for cleansing me. I thank you for the blood of Jesus. And I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess I've made myself unclean. But I thank you for cleansing me. I thank you for forgiving me. And I thank you for giving me new life today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Church, can we go ahead and put our hands together for all those who prayed that prayer this morning? We are so incredibly proud of you for making that decision this morning. Do me one favor. If you pray that prayer this morning, if you're here or if you're watching online with us this morning, I have one favor to ask you. Please text the word SAVED to 66599. It's it's a no hassle guarantee. We're not going to come knocking on your door with a fruitcake. We literally just want to give you the next steps in your faith of, like I said, devoting to the way now that we have discovered the wonder and been saved by him. So do that for us. Text SAVE to 66599. Otherwise, church family, we are so happy. We're so thankful that you came to us this morning. And we are so excited about next week. We'll see you guys then. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.